really sort of, yeah, they sort of scared of risk and, and they don't follow their dreams. I think people, yeah, they sort of really get one shot at life. Yeah. And, and so many people, you know, just talk to them and they just, you know, and, and that passion, if you're passionate about, you know, clean and dunnies at the MCG, there is nothing wrong with that. That's great. If you're yeah. passionate about that, you can make a killing, you know what I mean? You can do that and you enjoy it. Today's guest is one of the top beekeepers in Australia and has been on the podcast before, episode 16, discussing homelessness, prior careers, police raids, and his passion for all things bees. Given the incredibly serious invasive pest new to the Australian shores, the Varroa mite, we discuss what is being done to combat the pest and the impact on food production if we don't. Episode 81, Ben Moore. Welcome to One Moment Please, the podcast where our guests take a moment to tell their stories of how they've overcome adversity to achieve success, and you take a moment to tune in, so bring on the inspiration. So yeah, I'm van lifing, man. That's awesome. How good's that? That is so cool. That is absolutely awesome. Got out of Dodge and uh, yeah, we're... um, I'm not obviously publishing real time of where, where I am, but I'm in South Australia at the moment, but I'll tell you offline where I am. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's good. So thank you for uh, for uh, saying yes to the chat. Appreciate yeah, it. Awesome. No, thanks for having me. I'm currently leaning over and patting my, patting my cat because I'm van lifing with a cat. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Absolutely love it. How's the family, man? Yeah, good. Yeah, no, everyone is good. It's, um, yeah, no, it's just, everything's, I'm just getting ready for the, the crazy season with the bees. I was going to say, how are my bees that you had to take back? Your bees, they're, they're awesome bees. Absolutely awesome. With a beautiful colour because they've got that nice golden, like, yeah. oh, they're really, like a real pretty bee. Oh. I know. I was so devastated that I ended up being anaphylactic. <laughs> it's common. It is actually really yeah. Good. It's interesting. I went up to um, up the mountain to get some supplies, and I know you know them because I texted you after they were t- saying how love we both gushed about how lovely you were. And um, she said to me, she she made a comment. She said, "Be careful as you get closer to forty, because a lot of women that she knew when they were heading into menopause ended up getting anaphylactic and they had to give up beekeeping." And I, I mean, I'm not at menopause at the moment, but um, I didn't think anything of it. So I don't know whether or not it's an age thing or whether or not I'd say it's just a, an accumulation of being stung so many times. And then, which is a byproduct of, you know, being a beekeeper, you get stung. But yeah. yeah well, it's interesting. So some people, and, and we actually say there's a lot, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I say a lot, it's, you know I mean, probably half a dozen times per year where this really? happens, which is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting that people with all of a sudden their bodies must, you know, one sting's fine, two stings, three, four, and then bang. And it's like, wow, all of a sudden it's the the, the gnarly sting. Yeah. Well, anyway, at least thank goodness for the ambulance service and steroids. <laughs> <laughs> and EpiPens. <laughs> and EpiPens. Yeah, but it's changed my perspective now. I never, like as a kid growing up, I mean, I ended up with backyard bees. I never had a problem with bees out in the wild but now i find myself actively avoiding going near a bee because if i get stung you know it's it's made me so paranoid and it's awful 
Anyway. It's interesting the perception with that of having, yeah, obviously having a little creature that weighs, you know, one tenth of a gram that can be potentially fatal. Yeah, because I'm like, okay, well, I can't go out for a walk in the bush now. I have to make sure that I got the EpiPens in there and the antihistamines in there and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it's a completely different um, perspective. We pulled up at a servo the other day and we pulled up right next to a big, um, I don't know what, I don't know what tree it was. It had a lot of flowers on there and the bees were loving it. And normally I wouldn't think anything of it. And I said, I'm not hopping out. You can go, you can hop out. I don't want to go near the bees. And it's so devastating anyway. But yeah, it's a completely different um, perspective. But I got you on because for those that don't know, I had been on a while ago to chat about his life before he got into bees, which is fascinating. Um, you've lived a very interesting life, Benjamin. Um, but I wanted to get you on as one of Australia's best beekeepers to have a chat about the varroa mite. Varroa mite? What had he pronounce it properly? Uh, varroa. Varroa mite. Varroa destructor. Which is bloody devastating. It came through the New South Wales port. Confirmed? Confirmed. Not confirmed. We'll talk about this a bit more, but yes. No. Oh, tell me. Where did, so where do they think it came in? Well, it's interesting. Okay, so if we look at the the varroa mite, it's obviously a devastating pest, which we'll talk about more of that and what it, the issues affects bees. But the the port of Newcastle is a port for exporting coal. It's not a container port, isn't it? There's a Chinese bought it. Yes, that's right. Exactly. So it's not. Mm. So they're, they're working on um, infrastructure to take containers in in and out, but. It's not actually a, a massive port for, you know, uh, like say botany. importing, <clears throat> exactly like importing. So now there was some mites there in some hives close to the port, but there was some more inland of Newcastle, and where there was heavy infestations nowhere near a port. So, so the plot thickens there. How has it come in? We don't know yet. They've done a lot of uh, testing, so a lot of uh, genetic testing, and it's a, the Korean strain, which is a majority of the the Varroa destructor. Um, so yeah, so it's a it's pretty pretty interesting, interesting times. Now I, I think we should probably start off by saying what the mite is and what. So Australia was the only country in the world that didn't have the mite, which is devastating to bee colonies and bee colonies are needed for food production, um, pollination. Um, they, they basically support all of our food supplies and production. I would imagine. Exactly. So when we, when we look at them, you know, bees, so forget honey, obviously that's the first thing you think of bees as, you know, being honey producers. And I think with local consumption and exports, honey is about $750 million. It's what they're worth on an annual basis Australia wide. But, but the big but is when we look at bees as pollination in Australia, they're estimated to worth $6 billion per year because of the crops that they pollinate. So every country that's had this mite, and it's all through Europe, it's gone through America, it happened to be in New Zealand and then it's come here. It's all through Africa as well and Asia? Every single continent with the exception right. of Australia. So, and, and it's kind of actually ironic because we look at, Australia, this year actually marks exactly 200 years since a European honeybee, Apis mellifera, has landed on our shores successfully. Come on a ship. The um, 
Isabella it was a convict ship from Cork in Ireland and Captain John Wallace arrived. I think there was half a dozen hive. They managed that three and a half months voyage. And this year is 200 years. So it's a little bit interesting that now we've got this little pest we're dealing with. What are the real real world implications of this pest? And what is it? I think we should go back. What does a pest actually do? Why is it so devastating to bees? Okay. So, so it's a mite. So probably the easiest way for the listeners is to think of it like a flea. Uh, and it sucks the, the blood. Well, it's actually not blood. It's a bit, there's some new research. And so bees have what's called hemolymph, which is uh, the mammal's version of blood. But there's some new research that actually suck the, the proteins, the fats off the bee. But the implications are it spreads diseases. There's um, over 18 different viruses alone that the varroa destructor spreads. So it's like the flea for the black plague. Yes, exactly. Yeah, very well. Put. Okay. Yeah, fundamentally, that's that's a good analogy. Yes. So it's killing. It kills off bee populations and therefore affects food production because of the pollen. They're not there to pollinate. That that's right. And so so what the implications are? So obviously we have this mite, which is you know spreading viruses and um, and diseases within the colony. So that collapses the the colony, and that's the biggest issue is what the, what they're doing. So, but the other thing is too, as beekeepers, you know, around the globe, with the exception of Australia up until now. I've got a treat for this mite. Now, having dealing with two invertebrates, two insects, the host is an insect, the parasite is an insect. There's a very, well, how do we treat? It's not easy. So there are different ways. There's miticides. So fundamentally, it's like a, almost like an insecticide. There is another way which is deemed as being organic, and that's using oxalic acid, which is found in, I think, a lot of fruit and vegetables. The, probably the one that comes to mind is uh, rhubarb, silverbeet, heavy in oxalic acid. And using that as a vapor, so vaporization, uh, what it does is it basically burns the legs off the bees. Oh, sorry, sorry, the, the, the legs off the bees. So the legs off the raw mite. Okay, <laughs> um, I got worried. Then. Falls off the bees. Yeah, so it falls off the bees. So yes, yeah, so that's what it does there. So and then they can't feed. But it doesn't affect the bees. Wow, these treatments do. They do a treatment. I've seen in New Zealand, I was lucky enough to be there a few years ago and there was a treating some hives um, just in Auckland and using this vapor, you can hear that you've got to plug them in so the bees can't come out and using this vapor, you hear them humming because it's, it's foreign to them. That's right. It's an acidic Mm. uh, body inside their hive. So they, they hum and don't like it. It doesn't kill them, but you can tell there's sure as um, pissed and don't like it. Okay. So, what alternatives like how i'm assuming our native bees aren't immune to this as well good news is they are and that's because, <gasps> yeah so it's, Fabulous. Yeah. yes yeah so good news and the reason being is the we've got over 1950 species of native bees but most majority of them um are actually solitary so they're biology- yeah. very different as a, and now when we look at the stingless bees, uh, what's that? Tetragonia carbonaria. They are very small, so it's there can't be a host. It's the wrong host for the varroa destructor. Now there is of uh, mites. There's varroa jacobsoni and varroa destructor. Now, obviously, if you just look at the species name destructor, that's what it does. How did it? Was it just like how did it come out of if it was a Korean? strain how did it get out of korea just with the over time with the 
bees flying around or was it shipped in a hive accidentally? Like how was it? Well, that, that's predominantly the case. You know, so we go back a couple of years ago, uh, four years to 2018. I think it was uh, June. Don't quote me on that month, but it was June or July in wintertime. We had a, a ship, a, a container, container ship that came from Texas and it actually had a feral hive on one of the containers. And luckily enough, the captain called it in. He stayed out, it was seven kilometers out in the port, just out of Melbourne, and called it in. The hive was euthanized and detected to have row mites on it. So that's the predominant way it actually spreads, is by doing that. But the other thing is too, when we look at beekeepers, you know, a lot of beekeepers, if not most of the commercial beekeepers are migratory. So they move their hives from crop to crop to crop. So obviously we're contributing to that, you know, that spread of pests and diseases, you know i.e. The, the grower destructible and when you and the reason for that is because farmers will say okay i've got a i need you to come it's time i need you to come and do my almond almond orchard to pollen to pollinate everything or, or apples or whatever and that's why it's migratory yes correct okay so where do we like how contained is it do we know I know that's the, that's an interesting question. Now it's very very interesting. So okay, um, when we look at so New South Wales, Australia, big area. I think New South Wales is actually as a state is bigger than all of France. You know, I mean, to put it in perspective for any overseas listeners. So it's, we're dealing with a massive landmass. So what we're being such a large area, there's been over twenty five thousand hives inspected. And I'll talk about how there's two ways to actually, or a few ways to detect the, the mites. They're pretty small. They're not microscopic. You can see them with the naked eye, but they're not the easiest um, easiest thing to identify. So when we look at that sort of size, there's uh, 25,000 hives have been inspected. 8,000 hives have been euthanized. There's over 1,350 personnel working on this. I think there's about, um, I think almost nine um, control areas. So different areas where they've you know, set up camp and they're all these personnel are working on. I think it's 200, over 200 uh, volunteering beekeepers. So is it contained? Um, good question. I don't, this is my opinion. So I don't think so. Because to date, not one country has been able to have land on their doorsteps has been able to get rid of it. So I want to remain positive. I want to remain optimistic, but I think the answer is no. And there's two reasons for that, Fiona, is one one being we look at feral hives. You know, sometimes a feral hive could be pretty high up in a tree, go undetected. That's one. Number two, people do the wrong thing. We're humans. You know what I mean? Or humans do. There will be, might be a bad apple in a crop. We'll do the wrong thing and potentially do something that they shouldn't because there's like, there's all these movement orders and permits in place now and no, he's got raw mites or not. No, maybe an accidental thing. You know what I mean? That someone's had their bees and might not have the internet, might not have the powers of the research to find this information and may accidentally move a hive because they're selling their house or something like that. So that's where I don't think it's going to be controlled, but, but We'll see. Fingers crossed. It's, yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I know I'm hearing, talking to some uh, good friends, beekeepers, beekeeping friends on the ground, 
working with them. They tell me, Benny, we're, it's looking good. We could get through this, but I don't, I know, I don't think so. And that's just my opinion. So, and I, I, it's, I want to be wrong. I really do want to be wrong. Why are we hearing, uh, I mean, we're hearing so much about the foot and mouth and if that gets into the country, the devastation of, on the, um, the livestock industry and uh, food production and stuff like that and dairy and yada, 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 the list goes on. But why aren't we hearing more about the mite and the devastation that it could cause? Like, why aren't we just, I don't know, it doesn't seem like we're going full ball in terms of trying to eradicate it fast. Exactly. Well, it's an interesting one because I suppose every other country, every other continent has it. They're dealing with it. Now, they're having massive losses. I'm hearing in Canada, they can have losses up to 60% of their beehives, 60% mm. over winter, especially. So they're losing this amount of beehives, but they obviously grow their numbers and they work with their bees to replace those numbers. So, so as far as why we're not here, I think there's that's every other country is dealing with it and they're working and managing with Ra. But I think the other thing is too, not everyone's a fan of bees like you and me. You know, we love bees. We, we love them. So I think what's happening there is, you know, the bees, there's plenty of them there. They're not from Australia. So I think sometimes, you know, bees do get a bit of a bad rap, you know, the European economy. But is that just because they're not educated in regards to how important they are for food production? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that is, that is a very key point. Very, and very... they're not cute and fluffy. That's right. Unlike a bubble bee, which they do have in Tassie, a cute and fluffy. Yeah, feral, feral. Uh, last time I was in Tassie, I saw one. Um, yeah, which is another issue. Don't import bloody feral bees into Australia because you think that they're cute. But okay, so it's interesting you mentioned that because they believe so in the year year of uh, two thousand in, in New Zealand, that's how they believe the. Varroa came into New Zealand because someone's illegally bought a queen bee and, it, and you can actually transport, you know, queens in the post legally within your state, uh, in your country. Um, some countries like export them and so forth. So, um, so, and you're allowed to do that, but, but sometimes coming from another country, if it's had the mite on it, that's how they believe it's spread. So that could be a potential as to why it's here in Australia. Someone may have done that. It just takes someone, you know, people bring in funny, crazy things. You just got to watch border security on YouTube. <laughs> That's the, and that, you just got to watch that. Don't people, get me started. I think we're too soft on people bringing in stuff that they shouldn't. Like, hey, I'm sorry, you're going to get a warning when you get a suitcase full of food or $500 fine. I'm sorry, like $5,000 fine and... You know, if you can't pay it, then there's other consequences. I totally agree. There's, we've got a declaration. They give it, you know, I mean, a, an hour or two hours before you land coming into Australia. Yeah. yeah. And in dip, and people go, oh, they don't understand. It's in different languages. It's in every language. So if someone doesn't speak English, it's in Chinese, it's in Vietnamese, it's in Indonesian, it's in in Arabic. Arabic. It's in everything. It's in every single um, language. They, they, so it's not as if people don't understand that you can't bring in food or animal products. Exactly. That's a rant. I do think we're too soft. I think we're far too soft. Oh, no, I totally agree. We, we need to have heavier, heavier penalties for things like that. And, and look at, you touched base at the start about foot and mouth. 
Yeah, that's that one's it's gonna be if we do get that and yeah. and that does spread, that's that's gonna be devastating. Yeah, and we're still doing pitiful fines for it. Some some person tried to bring back a hamburger from Bali, which has got foot and mouth at the moment. It's been all through the press, and he tried to bring back a Macca's hamburger. Like we've got McDonald's here. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And I think the plain food's not too bad. I like plain food. You know, sometimes you get, you know, the plain food's actually all right. You know, I think plain food's better than Macca's, but anyway. <laughs> oh, well, anyway, I think they're both not great, but anyway. <laughs> That's not great. <laughs> but then I'm flying economy, not business or first, so I can't really. <laughs> That's actually funny. I, I flew first class once. I think I had points from, and, uh, oh, geez, that was a big bloody mistake. That was. Yeah, you, you don't, don't do ever that. want to go back, do you? Oh, you don't do, you don't do that. You don't go even once. <laughs> Stay at the back where it's noisy and <laughs> no one cares. It is bloody noisy. So where, where, what's the implications now? Where do we go from here? What are they doing on the ground and future biosecurity measures to control it? Yeah, so every state is basically set up and said no transport of bees and bee equipment out of New South Wales. So if we look so at honey's fine, honey's fine. There's no bees or bee equipment. Well, there's, it's interesting with honey is actually they're saying for out of New South Wales, to my knowledge, they're saying, no, you've got to have a permit to actually transport honey. And it has to be uh, sent after I believe 14 days of being extracted. So you can't just like extract honey today and then send it tomorrow. You've got to get permits for any bee related products out of New South Wales. Now, certain states, if you look at Western Australia, well, well WA is like a, a country on its own. They, they won't have um, any honey, even from even from uh, us in Victoria. Oh, really? Hey, exactly. Yeah, they're really interesting, uh, Western Australia. They were, but they're biosecurity, and they've been like that from the, the very uh, humble beginnings, really strict on all animals. As I said, no bees, no honey. Like you think, even, it's crazy. Anyway. So does that mean, because I'm taking, I've got honey in the van. Um, does that mean I have to eat it before I go to New South Wales because I can't take it through or out of the state? Uh, no, into New South Wales is fine. It's going out. But if you're going to go to, say, Kilgari in WA, Kalgoorlie. <laughs> Kal- Kal- I was like, where the hell is that? I've never heard of it. <laughs> Kalgoorlie. So, uh, Kalgoorlie, yes, you'd actually, you can't. And they have big bins. Over there, and yeah, so that's a that's a big a big fines. So I couldn't even take it through because if I'm going through Queensland, I can't go through Queensland into New South Wales and then into Victoria. That's probably not. Yeah, they'd have to declare that. Yeah. 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 Okay, I'm gonna have to get eating my honey. Smile <laughs> so. from my hive. I've still got some left. So. Oh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, slowly going through it. <laughs> when I get to that last jar, it's gonna be devastating. Oh. Anyway. Good. Anyway, I'm going to sit. Well, I'm not even going to be. I don't think we're going to come back to Melbourne, so I can't even get your honey, Ben. Oh, really? Okay. I'll yeah. send you. I can post it. Okay, good. Good. Oh. So, what are you up to at the moment, Ben? Tell me. What are you yeah, doing, so, honey? Yeah. So, what am I doing? So now it's still cold. I'm all rugged up. I've got three layers on. It's cold, but we've had some nice days. So I had some bees up near Swan Hill on an organic yeah. plum orchard. And I've brought those down a little bit, little bit south, uh, just out of Chuka called Stanhope on Canola. And the bees on Canola, even though it's a monocultural crop, 
I tell you what, it's amazing. The bees love it. Like this, canola pollen's got one of the highest amount of um, uh, proteins of, of, of any uh, pollen. So the bees just bubble and boom. And it's got uh, the, the honey's terrible. I don't take the honey, I just leave it on there for them. But it's so been uh, pollination. So that's starting and basically been frantically getting ready for the swarming season because boy. That was why I was wondering why they aren't going so full on for winter because before the swarms start hitting in spring. Yeah. So, well, New South Wales, that's right. There's That's why there's so many aspects to, you know, this spread of the row in New South Wales because if we look at, you know, swarms, you know, I mean, a feral swarm, it just takes one mother mite to hitch a ride on a swarm and off it starts again. So, yeah. You need to explain why bees swarm. Oh, yeah. So, so uh, basically swarm. So it's their way of reproduction. So how bees reproduce. So obviously that queen, and now by, the queen's not the boss, everyone. It's the, uh, they work as a, uh, a collective. So the queen, her brain, even though she's bigger, I think 30, 30 plus percent bigger, her brain is actually smaller. So she's just an egg laying machine. So, um, so what they do is they, that's how they reproduce. So basically come springtime, half the colony approximately thereabouts will take off with the old queen and find a new home. And that existing hive will produce a new queen to start. So that's the way they re- reproduce. So that's how they, um, how they swarm, which is absolutely fascinating. So here's a question that I believe no one knows the answer to is when they're swarming, they all come spewing out the box all flat out. How do they know who stays and who goes? Well, I think they just eject all the people that don't like. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. Well, because how do they know? Who's <laughs> Sorry, who? Larry, you annoyed me. Get out. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, girls. So it'd be it'd be Melissa. Oh. <laughs> I say I say Melissa because that's um, that's a great name for uh, for honeybee. Um, but it's yeah, <laughs> it's interesting as to how they uh, do that. No, it's a question. I don't know anyone knows the answer to that. One of those mysteries of the world. Because that's I'd love yeah. to know. Love to know who stays, who goes. I love that. I was just thinking today how much I love the mysteries of the world because we were um, going through South Australia, and we stopped off at the Granites. Have you heard of the Granites? I have. I have. I'm been, but I've heard. Yes, the Granites. Yes. Well, bit of a letdown. You only see a few little, like a bit of a rock, and my husband. My, I say my husband. You know Andrew. Um, was in telling me about it, the fact that no one knows how they get that the big granite rocks, no one knows how they get there. And they're apparently enormous under the sand. Wow. But you only see like a little bit, it's like an iceberg, you only see a little bit. So I was like, oh, okay. But apparently another mystery of the world. I'm like, how wonderful it is that we've still got random things that I, we don't know the answer to. I agree. Think of Stonehenge. Um, yeah. There's Easter Island statues. Yeah. yeah, these things that yeah have been there. How do they the pyramids? There's there's one. There's a, a classic one. Okay, pyramid. Ben, aliens or not? Oh, no, I'm gonna say just I, I think people when we're all put together, we can do some absolutely marvelous, incredible things. So I think mm. it's just literally people power. You know, just having that many people, possibly um, you know, slavery. And I think just you get enough people, you can do anything. Have you heard the theory that I'm going to get the dates wrong? I think it was 12,000 years ago. There was a mass extinction event, um, and they think they found the crater under the green uh, Greenland ice mass. 
and there's a lot of um i don't know what is it what's the rocks geo what's it called when it's all the rock studies at rocks I don't know. I haven't. Had, I know what you mean. Late. <laughs> I haven't had. A, I haven't had a coffee yet today, and it's in the evening. Um. So yeah. So it's a lot of rock evidence and stuff like that, and water erosion to uh, support it. But there is a theory based on artifacts that they've actually started digging down past a certain point. They never. They used to go. Oh well, humans never were, but before this time, so we just stopped digging for archaeologically. Um. And they've now discovering evidence that perhaps the human race was a lot more advanced many years ago. And then there was a mass extinction event. And then we're slowly coming back again. Ooh, I like, mm. I like that. That's interesting. There, yeah. There was an episode on Joe Rogan that I listened to. And I, it was a, guy, a gentleman that did um, the fingerprints of the gods, whoever he, I can't remember his name. Fascinating. So there's evidence also that the Sphinx at the um, pyramids are a lot older based on water erosion around the base of the Sphinx when, when water was in the area at the time that they've dated it. So there's arguments to potentially that the Sphinx were are older than the pyramids and therefore what was going on there beforehand. That's but we amazing. don't know. That's amazing. I totally dig that type of stuff, that mystery. Yeah, I know. It's fascinating, yeah. isn't it? Couldn't agree more. Love it. Absolutely yeah. love it. God, we went off on a tangent. Then I love going off on tangents. <laughs> <laughs> what's that? G, what's that rock? Is it? I'm thinking geo mass, but it, it's what would it be? Geo. It's yeah. Anyway, those rocks. Oh, the yeah. ro- the study of the rocks. Study of rocks yeah. hey, what's um, the study of rocks? It starts with geo. <laughs> Stumped my husband too. Study of rocks. Ge- um, geology. Geology. He got oh, it. Geology. geology. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now we knew. How dumb do I feel at the moment? No, 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 we knew that. We're just pretending. We did know that. We just we slipped our brain. Exactly. Yeah, geology, of course. Yeah, geology. Studied at school in, in year, year seven. Yes. I don't Well, you've got kids. Are you having to relearn everything that you went through at school to do the homework with them? Yeah, good question. It's, um, it's, it is different. It is very different. Uh, I don't know. I see the school I went to, I feel as though they were forced, you know, they just pushed it into you, that algebra. Now, I don't know. Does anyone ever? I loved that? algebra. I loved I it. Know. I Did think, really? yeah, I loved it. I was good at it. I couldn't do it with some now if I saved my life, but I loved it at the time. I think, I think a lot of tradies use it in terms of Pythagoras' theorem for stairs when they're doing okay. stairs. Okay. But I don't know. Who else would do it if you're uh, not a mathematician or yes. a physicist or something in the sciences? Exactly. Yes. Yeah, the algebra. Yeah, not for me. <laughs> I think it actually. Yeah, not, not for me. I, actually, I think not for a lot of people. I think. Yeah, I don't know. Algebra. They sort of they forced it. You know, what I mean, I would, what I would have appreciated more for myself scored but learn another language it could have been anything you know cantonese you know indonesian you know um french i mean i think they didn't do that at my school i wish they did. i didn't know yeah. well we did it but it was i was hopeless at it um i think they should have done more practical entrepreneurial business studies stuff yes i agree absolutely totally agree because and i know i know you can't teach entrepreneurial being an entrepreneur and entrepreneurialism 
although there are degrees in it now. But um, I think one of the benefits that I did at my school, which was fabulous, is that in our business uh, studies, we actually had to start a business, just a, just a little one, do a P&L for it, market it, everything. And it was it was really good grounding. And I think that they needed, but it was only really, it was only like a couple of weeks. Yeah, okay. Yes. And I think that they really needed to foster that at a really early age. But at the end of the day, the school system's putting out employees, not yeah. entrepreneurs. That's right. Which is, well, and, and that's interesting you say that because I think that's sometimes a good thing because having, if we're all entrepreneurs, would it work? Because we need employees. So, you know, yes. is there a balance? So that's having, having a balance. If we've got too many, you know, you know business-minded people and not enough actually workers to work for them, I don't know. I think there's, there's a certain balance. Yeah, but I think it also it's like you learning algebra and you never use it. Like people yes. could learn more of those skills and have that knowledge and then decide whether or not they want the stress of having their own business. True. But I think you've got to offer it for there to be more options of people. I mean, you, how many people do you hear? Oh God, I hate my job or just doing it for the paycheck and stuff and the stress of that. And then they get miserable and they come home and they bring it into the home and all that sort of stuff. And it's wearing on your soul. Um, I agree. Mm. I absolutely totally agree. It's funny you say that a quick little story. So we had a bit of a boys night um, out. There was only five of us. And one of the guys got this, he sells uh, rocks, like, you know, for rocks as far as, like geodes yes. and stuff. Yes, exactly. Yeah, like yeah. Um, escaping in sort of gardens and indoor type thing. Anyway, oh, okay. A, so not like not crystals and geodes and stuff. No, like no, landscaping no, 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 rocks. Land, well, landscape, but also to a bit more fancy that it's uh, inside houses. You know, and so okay. you can have a, like a feature wall that type of thing. Anyway, there was um, there was five five lads and we're all sort of having a, having a beer and a, and a cigar. Anyway, we um. There was a guy, Ash, and we sort of, I got talking to him. I said, what do you do, mate? And he says, oh, I work at um, Hewitt Packard. And you like your job? Oh, yeah, it's okay. And then I said to him, so what's your hobby, mate? And he goes, pizza. Loves making pizza. And I'll tell you what, his eyes lit up. We started talking about it. We're talking about flowers from, you know, Italy and types of yeast and how much recipes and, you know, what he does, you know, as far as the percentage of um, the hydration of the dough. And oh wow, he's like fully into it. Oh, nerded out, fully nerded yeah. out. Absolutely, it was incredible. And I actually said to him, I said, "Mate, I said, you've got so much passion for pizza." And I've and apparently all the other lads were saying, "You got to try his pizza. You can't go. It's better than four hundred gradi, better than zero ninety five, better than all the best pizza shops." And I said to him, "I said, why don't you open up a pizza shop?" Yeah. Or at and least manufacture the dough or something and do a wholesaling. Exactly. Something there. And you know what? And then fundamentally, he said, no, nah, it's too much of a risk. Yeah. He, he's, he's job, you know, he can go to Hewitt Packard, yeah. work work there, nine to five, Monday to Friday, gets, a, gets that check at the end of the week, X amount of dollars, and there's stability there. So I think as humans, we actually like stability. That's stability well, of it. Definitely. But I think also we haven't been taught, like, I wonder if he had the knowledge of how to mitigate risk and how to manage the risk and that side of things, whether or not he could have potentially gone down that path. And I don't, I, we all, I, I find myself getting more risk adverse as I get older. And particularly when you've got, um, a partner and a mortgage and responsibilities in that, that you get more and more risk averse. Cause obviously you've got more on the line. Um, 
and I don't have kids, so I imagine it probably only goes up from there, which is why I admire you in regards to being so passionate and carving this amazing career and um, income out of your passion, which is bees. When you've got mortgages and I'm assuming you got a mortgage and um, kids and stuff like that, like you've got those responsibilities and yet you're still able to have that entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, that's so true. I think people really sort of, yeah, they sort of scared of risk and, and they don't follow their dreams. I think people, yeah, we sort of really get one shot at life. Yeah. And so many people, you know, just talk to them and they just, you know, and, and that passion, if you're passionate about, you know, clean and dunnies at the MCG, there is nothing wrong with that. That's great. If you're yeah. passionate about that, you can make a killing, you know what I mean? You can do that and you enjoy it. It doesn't necessarily. We're Kenny, all gonna, exactly. they made a film about it. Kenny, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> what's his name? What's his name? I met him. Shane, uh, Shane Gilbert. Shane Gilbert. Shane, Shane, I actually met him a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but it's it's funny. It's you know people with passion, and I think people don't follow their dreams. You know, and there's sort of that safety net. You know, I mean, take risk. You know, I mean, you know what? I, I think I'd rather for me give something a crack and actually fall over, get an absolute you know kicking the guts but knowing that i tried to do it mm. knowing i've tried i've had this conversation with one of my last guests jo archer who's one of the top freestyle motocross um athletes in the world and i was saying how remarkable it is that his parents enabled him to follow his dreams of being which is quite a dangerous sport of freestyle motocross and motocross in general and that he wasn't funneled down the go get a degree or you know have that safety net or maybe you should try this and I think that's a very rare gift that parents can give their kids in terms of just allowing them to be who they are and following their dreams rather than funneling them into what they think they should do exactly I totally totally agree are you trying to do that with your kids yeah I, I, I do I, so with my children I suppose with my daughter especially I said you know and I've well all of them all four of them I've said you know no matter what you do and you want to do it, you enjoy it, I'll support you. You know, if my daughter wants to be a tattoo artist, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I'd prefer, maybe, maybe not. But, you know, if that's their passion and it turns into, you know, she's got tattoos and that's her thing, you know, I'll support her 100%. When you started your business, I can't remember if we touched on this when in your last episode. What, what, how old were you? Were you in your early 20s? No, nah, so so when I started, so I started and I become a chef and then end up working. Oh, that's right. You're homeless. Yes, yes. Living out of your car. Yeah, the car that was that was fun. <laughs> it's actually interesting. I saw I was actually sorry, we're just side note. I was just going up to Hill the other other day. I was going through um where is it? The just before Bendigo the servo. And there's a few cars sort of parked in the car park, near that main servo. And it's interesting, you always know when someone sleeps in their car because of all the condensation. Yeah, yeah, you always know. But um, yeah, so no, so then I become a chef, and then I was illegal the reptiles. Yes, illegal reptiles. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, to the episode, everybody, go back and listen to it. Illegal reptiles. <laughs> that was a bit epic operation. Getting raided by the police. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> oh boy, um, that was funny. <laughs> The um, so then we went through it all, Ben. It's all coming back to me now. <laughs> it's coming back to me. <laughs> uh, for everyone listening, no, I'm, I'm a good guy. I was actually it's just um, guilty by association, but anyway, um, no, I was, I was, <laughs> so I have to go and listen to the episode. Come on, let's pop the episode up <laughs> exactly. 
uh, 2008 become a business. And it's interesting about that risk when you talk about sort of that. I remember. Um, well, so GFC. Yeah. You did it in GFC, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah, sort of all through that. But I, I remember as I was building that business up, uh, and then when I went out my own, it was doing bees full time. I, I remember I had a, um, it was a $10,000 credit card. And, and the tough period for all beekeepers generally winter time. So because you don't have an income stream, there's no pollination, there's obviously no other things. And that that credit card ended up keeping on increasing the limit to $40,000. So I had so over, over winter, I had this $40,000 a credit card that I was right maxed out. And you can imagine interest on that at 18%. It was phenomenal. But it was a risk I sort of took. And it actually, me looking back now all those years, actually paid off. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad I took that risk. I could have just, you know, stayed at the the stable job I was doing, which I've really enjoyed, really enjoyed. You know, done a little bit of bees on the side, but not gone out my own. So so it was a risk that I took. And I think I learned from that, you know, just not to let that happen again. And, and here I am. Um, yeah, I'm trying to figure out a way not to go back into the corporate world <laughs> at the moment. And I suppose, I don't know, I think Andrew and I are both in a stage at the moment where we just want to sort of figure out what the next stage of our life is going to be in regards to where we're going to live and what that's going to look like in terms of income. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to get some courage off you. Okay. Okay. Can I, can I jump in there? Does it matter? Can, <laughs> but can, I, can I say that if you're, you guys are in 20, 30, 40 years, you're 60, 70, 80, whatever, and you're still in a van, does it matter? You know what I mean, it's awesome. Like, you know, to have to be, well, yeah. Look, yes, but I we've got to be able to fund it. That's the thing. You know, you have to, that's, we met a guy the other day. Um, his name was Wade. Shout out to Wade if you ever listen to this. And he had done, he was four years on the road in a van and hadn't done the lap of Australia yet. Hadn't completed it. Um, but he had a trait. So he was a stopping when he needed work, he would work and then pick on up and head on off again. So. Well, no, I'm just trying to figure it out. But shout out to people that work in a van because it's hard just living in it. But, but 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 you're doing it now, like you know, enjoying this life in the van. And I, you know, and many people, especially myself, are envious of what you're doing because you know you can wake up tomorrow morning and go, all right, which way are we going? Are we going to, you know, leg it 600 kilometers across the floor? We're going to go north. You no, know, let's head towards Alice. You know, go. So so I envy that. You know, I mean, I'm having a job as much as I love it. Absolutely love what I do. And I froth it. I really do. Every it tethers time. you. It does. It tethers tethers you. Correct. Yeah. To be that sort of free spirit. It's, I think it's an amazing thing. And, and I don't think worry about next stage in life. You know what I mean? Who knows? Who knows? I think the only way that you could be untethered in your business is if you actually physically gave up the physical B side of things and went purely into lecturing and teaching online. And then you could do that anywhere. Yes. True that. True that. Yeah. Consulting, you know, all that sort of stuff, exactly. which you do. I mean, you do do, you do do consulting. Ben's beads, everybody's remarkable. Thank you. It's um, I, I was actually doing a little bit online, but I just, for me teaching bees online, I, I was doing it a few months ago. I've done it for about, almost a year that sort of COVID thing but I don't know I didn't I wasn't for me I didn't like it because I want to I want to see people I want to I want to yeah 
breathe all over them and then breathe all over me and you know touch see their bees and see where they live and see what's flowers in the area i want to see that i need that it was interesting and it's good that you know that and one of the things that i loved when you came out so to give people a background i met ben when i got my backyard bees and he came out and uh, um, engaged him as a mentor a bee mentor which is part of his services and he came out and he made sure that the bees were in the right location, the right orientation, that they're going to have enough food in the garden, the surrounding areas. And the amount of information, but also passion that you had when you did that was so infectious. And yeah, it was, it was one of the best things that I, and it's, I'm so sad that I have this allergy now. Um, and I will do the, um, desensitization for it eventually but i'm yeah i'm just so sad that that i don't have that anymore but your your enthusiasm for them was yeah beautiful thank you and i also think it was important you know for me to sort of have that one-on-one to someone you know the confidence and learn about the bees because you know if i look at it on a monetary type thing you know, say, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs would say, well, you know, do a class, have 10, 12 different people, charge them all 200 bucks. You know, wow, that's, you know, a couple of grand for the day, beautiful. But for me, it's not about that. You know what I mean? It was about, yeah. you know, that's the, the enrichment of, you know, going to people's places like yours and seeing, you know, that environment and seeing other bees and look at, look at the weeds and going, well, don't cut the grass because, those dandelions and clovers. I love, I love the clover, yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Things like that. Yeah. You know, or there might be a certain tree that may influence the flavor of the honey. You know, I mean, these types of things. You know, I love that. Mm. I don't know. I think you're Ted's thin, Ben. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I know. It's it's fun. every time I sort of travel or go overseas. In my head, I sort of go, "Geez, I could not go back. I could not go back home." Yeah. I just. Yeah, it's stay oh, here. Yes, yeah, I could just stay there and just and I would love to you know, go to South America and 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 it's in my head and I and maybe I could make it work. I'll just say to Ashley, my, my guru beekeeper, there's the keys to everything, there's the passwords. You know, you you run it and um just just send I'll, me a, I'll have the I'll take the profits. <laughs> I'll send me a small send me a small check it's enough a few a few um Colombian pesos or Mexican pesos depending where I end up and and uh, so it's actually in my head that and that's uh, to actually think that or or I don't know let her have a crack you know I mean at, at doing it because she's and I've got to and talk about shout outs um shout out to Ashley she's she's Is this been, the lady that I met Yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Ashley's so been with me, I think, a couple of years now. And she's amazing. She mm. is truly like it's absolutely incredible. Absolutely amazing. As a beekeeper and her personality is absolutely incredible. So shout out to her. And and as far as we look at a business, I don't see this as a business. I see it as a a uh, it's a passion what I do, but as it wouldn't be having her i wouldn't be where i am now without her that's for sure because she's just such yeah really really amazing where where do you want to take the business now well it's it's interesting so i'm i'm it was funny you say that because i was thinking about writing some goals down you know what do i want to achieve i've got um, the next thing i've just got my forklift license so I you? Good on, well yeah because you've got a warehouse full of um it's a pieces and shit <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It's funny to say. Are you sure? That's so true. It's actually so true. Well, um, when we say that, it's like it's 
hive construction and uh, the frames for the bees, uh, like the honey it. frames. Yeah, Everything. it's all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and then you exactly. obviously you've got all the jars for your jarring of the honey and everything. So exactly the storage Bee and shit. everything. Bee exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it's interesting. So I got my forklift license and you got a forklift. You know what I mean? So having these sort of goals there because my little electric one. Yeah, I can't get a pallet of boxes off the uh, the back of the truck or you know frames or something like that. So, so yeah, so there's a little goal there. But so they're little small incremental goals that I work towards and sort of save my dollars and do that. But I suppose it's a big goal. I I don't know. It's what's I don't know. I'd sort of like seeing. I'm seeing little other friends and other people with their little businesses wanting to you know give it a crack with bees and and do that and i love seeing that you know the other people you know giving it a go and, and i've got i've had some people that sort of come and ride with me for the day or come and meet me at the factory and sort of talk about you know their business and i'll, I'll tell them everything i'll tell them absolutely mm. the highs the lows what to do what i don't do what i should do all these things because i think it's important that you know we see other people grow and there's plenty of room for people no matter what business it is you could have a pizza shop you know there's plenty of room for for people to to do but i've got to i'm saying that i tell you what it's bloody hard work you know i mean it's uh-huh. like it's it is hard hard work you know physically and the driving and so forth but but you know i one thing i've learned in life especially is you know, treat every negative as a positive or what's the positive out of the negative. So, so driving, let's say, you know, scoot up to Swan Hill and back, you know, that's eight, nine hours drive there and back. But what can I do there? I think, well, listen to a podcast, Audible. Uh, yeah. What's your favorite podcast, Ben? Oh, it's actually my, my one I really, really thoroughly enjoy. Uh, one moment, please. It's, yeah, it's definitely, no, definitely. <laughs> it's there. What's the top three? One moment, please. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I that should be your top one. I thought if he doesn't say it, he did the shit. <laughs> well, no, see, mine's a bit like marketing. So, so like yeah. um, small business, big marketing with um, Timbo Reed. That's a good one. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk, another one. Oh, yeah, Gary's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that sort of marketing type ones I like. Uh, as far as books, you know, I could, uh, I've got my phone here as far as, you want to, we've got time to, um, yeah, do that. Okay. So the this this one's a cracker, right? This is uh, Jimmy Carr, the comedian. We've all heard of him. Yeah. But his, his book, Before and Laughter, that is an amazing book to, to, to listen to or read for that matter and absolutely fantastic. So that's a shout that's out. That's good. Yeah, to that one. Um, Act Like a Success, Think Like a Success, um, 4,000 Weeks. These are all bloody self-help books. <laughs> um, unlimited memory. Uh, here's, here's one I like this one. A um, hundred quotes by Henry David Thoreau, which I think is great. Uh-huh. Which is, was, remember the uh, there's a that was that movie um, Into the Wild. Oh and, yeah. Yeah, and he he sort of quoted a few, and I think it was one one uh, poem or saying. Was uh, Into the Wild the well, the one that went? Um, and he ended up being a bum and lived in the yes, van the and one. then died. And died <laughs> Spoiler yes. alert. That's why, yes, yeah. yeah. Don't, eat, don't eat the berries. <laughs> you see berries like you're driving in the van, don't eat the berries. I think the red ones, I think it's the wrong, yeah. the one. But there's a saying, it's uh, rather than love, than fame, the money, give me truth. 
Mm. Like people that. don't like yeah. to hear truth. No, that's right. Exactly. They don't people like don't... to hear it. Gets me in trouble all the time, Ben. Exactly. It's it's interesting. You know what I mean? It's, I love that. And there was another saying, I think it was um, uh, rather than sitting on a on a velvet cushion, I'd rather be sitting. Sorry. So rather, rather than sitting with a hundred people on a velvet cushion, I'd rather be sitting by myself on a pumpkin. It was along those lines. And mm. I thought it was there. It's, it's only, like anyway, yeah. Henry David Thoreau. Is the, is the 4,000 weeks one, because that's pretty much what we have in an average lifespan. Exactly. And what we do. Um, and, yeah. Who's the guy that's married? No, so there we go. Who's the guy that's married to the woman that does Spanx? Can't remember his name. Um, anyway, he, he used to write on his wrist or on his hand or somewhere, how many weeks he had left for an average lifespan to help motivate him, like get stuff done, which is a good idea, but it's also highly macabre. I don't know if I could do it, but yeah, like it's based on those lines. Like if you realize how many weeks you got left in your average life, you know, would you waste them? Yeah, exactly. It's, I know it's it's an interesting dilemma because if I look at my bees, how passionate I was working hard with bees and doing that, it actually cost me my first marriage because I was so I was out there all the time tending to the bees and moving bees and working with them that I wasn't home. So it's the bees, even though they're a blessing, they're also for me could have been I don't look at it this way, but it could be a curse because the fact is, you know, I mean, it cost me my marriage. I think I was 12 years at the time. Were you into bees before you got together with a person? Yes, I was. Yes, I was, but not, but not on a, so that was all more of a, uh, we'll say the word recreational. You know what I mean? So one or two. Yeah. High, yeah for many, so you many. weren't, so the business side of things came afterwards. So, okay. So you yeah. changed the, you, the bees and you changed the dynamic of the relationship. Definitely. 100%. Yes. Yes. Okay. Have you changed for your current relationship? No. No. <laughs> so you've not. just got someone that that accepts and understands exactly. the demands of the business. That's, okay. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Just knowing that. Okay. He, he's gone for, you know, twenty hours. Six months now. Yeah. Yeah. Six it's months now. Months. It's spring and yeah. summer. Yeah. And it's a hard thing because to be and then to be so tired, you come home, and not and I recognise this to not be present. I mean, because it's mm. the physical components of it, of moving bees and the driving, the, that fatigue of doing it but and not being present. I do recognize that, but I don't know. Well, I don't know. If, are there any answers? You know, is there such, I don't know. I think it's, I don't know. Oh, goodness. All food for thought, Ben. It is, isn't it? Exactly. It's all adulting, man. It's difficult, isn't it? Oh, it is. It, oh, it's difficult, challenging. It's also exciting. You know, I mean, each day as it comes along, you know, I mean, so many. And I think humans, we've got so many opportunities. You know, I, I just see opportunities yeah. everywhere. I'm like, I see this guy with his, as I mentioned before, Ashley with his, uh, with his pizza ideas. And I see an opportunity there. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just yeah. see, you know, there's a guy where my factories are, where my factory is, and um, he picks up all the, uh, it comes around early in the morning, usually on a Sunday morning, and picks up all the pallets and he converts those pallets into furniture and can uh, refurbish them and resell pallets. And you go, people throw them out, you know what I mean? And there, there's yeah. an opportunity there for a business to make money, you know what I mean? To fund, to, to create something, create furniture. I think it's amazing. I think there's just opportunities 
everywhere. What does it say about me, Ben, when I see more opportunities for other people and I'm easily able to point out opportunities to others, but I don't see them as easily for myself? Oh, I think that sees you just, you can see those opportunities, but it's what you want to do. You, you know I mean? You may, you may not want to have a pizza shop. You may not want to, you know, be an online speaker for courses and teach Spanish or something, you know what I mean? So there's, yeah. that's what you want to do. So you don't have to go in life. You know, you're going to enjoy it. You know I mean? I see, you know, the buskers could be, you know, just cruising around, bumming around, playing music if that's what they enjoy. You know what I mean? I think that's, mm. you've got to do what you love. You have to do what you love. Oh, I think that's the perfect spot to finish on. Yes. <laughs> go do what you love, people. Exactly. And go support Ben's Bees. He's also got a podcast. Is it called Ben's Bees, your podcast? No, it's actually, well, Bees with Ben because I didn't, I didn't want to. Bees with Ben. Yeah, because Bees with Ben because it's more about the actual, the uh, interview. Yeah, well, the bees and the interviewee as opposed to me. You know what I mean? It's about their story and okay. and everything about them and their bees and or the main, not even necessarily keep bees. I've got some interesting people. And for those listening to this, we're going to share this podcast. For those listening to this on Ben's podcast, come listen to mine because I speak to all different people about who've had very interesting and awesome lives that have overcome adversity. Ex-spies, ex-homicide detectives, ex-undercover drug officers. I spoke to J.O. the other day, who's the top freestyle motocrosser. Yeah, random people. Oh, it's random. And some of them are pretty deep. Ex-special forces, yeah. yeah. Yes, yeah. 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 I love it. Anyway, go do what you love, people, because we love podcasting and Ben loves bees. Love you all. Thanks for taking a moment to listen, everyone. We hope this episode inspired you as much as it did us. If you know somebody who also needs a little inspiration, then please share this podcast with them. Also, don't forget to subscribe on your fave podcast app and rate and review us because that helps inspire us to keep making them. 